Welcome to the podcast, Your Time with James Sweetman. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of my podcast, Your Time with James Sweetman. Well, I have to say this week's episode is a real indulgence for me because I'm talking about books, one of my great passions. They're the only thing that I think I actually hoard. Uh, there's always a stack on my bedside locker. My to-read list tends to be longer than my work to-do list and I'm always seeking more shelf space. Uh, if you're anything like me in recent times, of course, if you're on a Zoom call and the person you're you're speaking with or attending the meeting uh, and they're sitting in front of some bookshelves, you know, I'm trying to look over their shoulder and scan the titles. Uh, and of course, there have been articles written about what people's bookshelves say about them. Um, and I'm quite sure there's many social media handles that you can follow on such topics as well. Now, every year I read usually somewhere between 30 and 50 books. Uh, with lockdown, I've certainly been reading more, I have to say. Um, books for me are doors into other worlds and other minds and, of course, a form of escapism. I was reading recently about Tony Mortimer, who was in the band East 17. So if you remember that going back to the 90s, uh, and he had written that at the age of 50, he had read his first novel back in May. And he's read something like 30 since, which is quite a pace. Uh, but it's amazing that even someone at that stage of life can discover books and discover a love of them. Um, I've also found this year as well that the that I've been reading more tangible books again. You know, there's still some that I read on the Kindle or the iPad. But for me, nothing beats the, the weight, the touch, the smell of a book in my hand and even the sound of the pages turning and the creak of the spine. So this week, I'm going to take you through some of my favourite books that I've read in the last year, the novels, the biographies, the personal and business and spiritual development books. So if you're seeking a good book to get stuck into this Christmas or you're thinking about getting some books as gifts for others, then hopefully this episode might give you an idea or two. Now, a caveat up front, I tend to only read what I like. Um, so whilst I love a book that challenges me, that stirs emotions, you know, they do have to be well written and I have to care about the characters when it's fiction or I have to respect the subject or the author if it's a biography or autobiography. You know, reading is, of course, very much based on personal preferences and I'm really just sharing mine. You know, now, if you're a subscriber to my community, the you get the monthly edition of my um, easy next steps. You'll know that I include a book review every month. They tend to be business or personal development type books. So in this week's episode of the podcast, though, you'll get a, a greater insight into the, the breadth of interest that I have when it comes to reading. And I'm going to start with some biographies and autobiographies that I've particularly enjoyed this year. So I'm going to start with Shoe Dog, that's S-H-O-E, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Now, this is an autobiography of the founder of Nike uh, from when he first founded his shoe running business with a $50 loan from his father back in the early 60s up to around 1980 when Nike went public. Uh, now, I find Phil Knight's business skills are matched by an ability to write and tell a story. You know, this is no boring business book. Uh, he takes us through how he sold trainers from the boot of his car and made $8,000 in sales in his first year. And of course, now I think Nike make around $30 billion in sales every year. If you're interested in entrepreneurship, 
uh, grit, you know, what it takes to succeed, following your dream, navigating the twists and turns of getting into business and getting a, a business off the ground. Well, then this is one to check out. You know, it's told in such a candid and engaging way. You know, you're really rooting for him throughout it. It's a memoir rich with insight and humor and hard-won wisdom. And of course, there's also that sense of legacy and leaving your mark on the world. I think it's on the cover of the book that Warren Buffett says it's one of the best business books that he's read in recent times. And I would have to agree with them. I found it very absorbing, full of useful, practical tips, both as a business owner. But what I really took away from it was the, the sense of determination that Phil Knight had to, to turn his dream into a reality. Now, a book I read back at the beginning of the year, actually, I think I started it last Christmas, was the third volume of Charles Moore's biography of Margaret Thatcher. Uh, it's called Herself Alone. It comes in at a meaty 860 pages. I think my wrists were sore from holding it up. Uh, this volume of the, the three-part biography covers her declining years in government from 1987 through to 1990, uh, when she was ousted as prime minister. And then, of course, it also looks at the, at the often melancholy last 23 years of her life. I have to say Charles Moore is an incredible biographer. The depth of research is only matched by the quality of the writing. So, of course, growing up in the 1980s, I was fully aware of Margaret Thatcher. I think I was one of those people who, you know, associated um, the, the, prime minute, the position of prime minister in the UK as, as always being held by a woman. Um, such was my experience because she was the, um, you know, the prime minister throughout the 80s. And of course, many new audiences now will will be introduced to her through Gillian Anderson's portrayal of her in, in the current seasons, uh, season four of The Crown. You know, in this book, there is high drama, particularly around the challenge to her leadership in 1990. Um, and I think more as the biographer really conveys that sense of the walls closing in around her. Um, now, there's been several biographies of Thatcher, but I think this particular one is um, has such a depth of research behind it. You know, part, at times it's a page-turning drama. Um, and of course, all three volumes together come in at a mammoth 3,000 pages. They're all well written. I've, I've read them all over the last few years, expertly researched, and really a fascinating insight into Thatcher's character, uh, the politics of the day, and, and her convictions. And of course, whatever you think of her, and she's such a polarizing figure, she's generally viewed as being like a conviction uh, um, uh, politician or leader. So that was Margaret Thatcher's, the third part of the biography, Herself Alone. Now, almost from the sublime to the ridiculous, um, uh, or at least from one extreme to the other, another biography, actually an autobiography that I read this year and thoroughly enjoyed was More Myself by Alicia Keys, the singer. Um, the, the cover of the book reads, you know, the honest journey of how I found my way to becoming who I am as opposed to being what I've told uh, I should be. Uh, this book begins when Alicia Keys was seven and follows her path, path to stardom, the challenges and all, and uh, reflections on her father's absence and you know the shame she felt when she was manipulated into doing different magazine shoots um, and where she 
how would I say it, found her, her voice literally as, a, as, as an adult, perhaps, uh, not just as a singer, um, and to, to, to step into that sense of an empowerment where she didn't want someone else to take her, her power or her creative ideas away from her. Uh, so, of course, I was well aware of her as a musician. Um, but after reading this book, I actually downloaded one of her albums, which I think is the first time I've been prompted to do that. You know, the way you might watch a film and you get the book or whatever. But I was prompted to get the to get the album. And it reminded me very much of another autobiography I read last year and thoroughly enjoyed uh, someone else in the music industry. And that was Gary Barlow. His autobiography was called A Better Me. And what both of them I found had in common was they were both so real and human and vulnerable and open and honest and, yes, inspiring and, and how people in the public eye have the same challenges as we all do. But it's often more difficult for them because they're, they're living in that spotlight. Um, but that book by Alicia Keys, I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, this year. And, and as I say, I've downloaded some of her music too. The last autobiography I'll mention is The Chiffon Trenches by Andre Leon Talley. I just think it's a great name. Um, for those of you who don't know, Andre Leon Talley is such and has been for many decades an influencing uh, figure in the, the world of fashion. Uh, this is an autobiography of, uh, you know, being such a trailblazer from his upbringing in the, the racially segregated North Carolina to working with Andy Warhol to covering the Paris fashion collections and ultimately as an editor with Vogue. Um, it's it's a real companion piece to the documentary that was out a few years ago called The Gospel According to Andre, which certainly was and I'm sure still is available on Netflix. So in, in the book, of course, there's, you know, the bitchiness and the slights and the, the racism he experienced. There's also the glamour of the Studio 54 times and the private jets and the haute couture fashion shows and parties. You know, and whilst the, the, the world of, of fashion and the world he's lived in is from the outside looking in exceptionally glamorous, you know, it's also a business as well. And he looks at that side of the, of the fashion world. But for me, I read this um, towards the end of the first lockdown um, and it was a real book that just allowed me to escape into a different world. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now I'm going to move into the novels and I have to say I've probably read more novels in the last 12 months than I have for a while. Um, I think it's trying to, to escape what has been a challenging year. Um, top of my list is The Mirror and the Light by Hilary Mantel. Now, I did read this book during the first lockdown, as many others did too. It was listed in the article about, uh, what was it, lockdown, lockdown bingo, which, uh, which got a lot of publicity back uh, during first lockdown, um, where it listed many things like, you know, doing yoga and making banana bread and, and reading The Mirror and the Light by Hilary Mantel as activities that so many people were doing. Uh, this is the third part of a trilogy following Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies, uh, both of which I had read, both of which, of course, won the Booker Prize. Uh, this one was long listed for this year's Booker Award, and I was so shocked and surprised to see it didn't make the, the shortlist. Um, but any, anyway, all three books are set in the Tudor court of Henry VIII, and they're about Thomas Cromwell, his, uh, his chief minister. And the books are told from his perspective. Um, so you might remember elements of it going back to your history classes in school or maybe, you know, there's so many movies and TV programs dealing with Henry VIII and that era, you know, but this book, 
gosh, I don't, I don't know how the author does it. It makes you feel like you were there. Um, uh, it opens in May 1536. At the moment, the executioner has struck off Anne Boleyn's head with a sword. You know, I do marvel at Hilary Mantle's skill as a writer, just the ability to capture the events of the time in an authentic way, events, events at the time that included the dissolution of the monasteries, all of the political intrigue and manoeuvring uh, that resulted in uh, Henry VIII's short-lived fourth marriage to Anna of Cleves, um, and, and making all of those events comprehensible and dramatic uh, to contemporary readers, I just think that's a, a tremendous skill. Um, you know, because we we probably all know how this story ends. I won't give anything away. You can find it out on Google if you need to. Um, uh, she has somehow still, though, managed to create suspense and apprehension uh, where maybe none should exist because we do know the outcome. But I have to say, when I was reading the final chapter and I sort of delayed reading it because I knew where it was going, uh, my heart was in my mouth, you know, and I couldn't shake off the the ending of it for a few days, which is a sign of a really great book. Um, and as a writer myself, you know, I know that particularly with fiction, you know, the story starts in the imagination of the of the author and it finishes in the imagination of the reader. And that is so true with this book. You know, more than one reviewer has called her trilogy uh, the greatest novels in the English language of this century um, so far. And I would have to agree with that. Another novel I thoroughly enjoyed in 2020 was The Water Dancer by Tanahisi Coates. Um, he's one of America's most incisive thinkers about race. Uh, he's written several books of nonfiction. Uh, and this book, the, the Water Dancer, is his first novel. So it was launched with much acclaim. And I think it was actually um, on Oprah's Book Club. That's probably where I came across it. You know, it's set largely on a tobacco plantation in Virginia during the middle of the 19th century. And it's about one black man's experience of slavery and the Underground Railroad. There's also elements of magical realism in it, which normally I'm not a fan of, but I have to say it's it's central to this book and it works so well within it. Uh, the main character is called uh, Hiram Walker. Uh, he's a sensitive young black man born into bondage. His mother was sold at auction and, and he clings to his uh, scarce memories of her. Um, it reminded me in some ways of Colts and Whitehead's book, The Underground Railroad, that I read uh, a few years ago. Obviously, it deals with similar themes. Um, and I equally loved this book as well. Uh, Harriet Tubman, the American abolitionist and activist, is featured in this book as the as the character Moses, which, of course, is an interesting name if we think of biblical history and the freeing of the slaves. Um, and uh, the, the water dancer also explores how the main character, Hiram Walker, becomes part of her mission to to rescue slaves. So a fascinating read uh, and one that really, I suppose, transported me to that difficult time in, in American history. I'm always amazed where I get the recommendations for books, but the next one, uh, Olive Ketteridge by Elizabeth Strout, uh, this book was recommended to me by my dermatologist, of all people, uh, the consultant who looked after me and my skin cancer diagnosis two years ago. And when I first visited her in her surgery in our waiting, um, in our consulting rooms, 
uh, whilst I was waiting reception, you know, I always have a book with me and I was reading. And she says that nowadays most people in the reception rooms are, you know, looking at their phones. And she said a reader will always stand out. And I'm thinking, great. And uh, we we sort of bonded over our, our mutual love of books. And anytime we meet, we're exchanging recommendations. And she recommended this one to me. And I have to say, I loved it. It's one I probably wouldn't have, have picked up myself. Um, it's an easy read. Uh, and whilst it's a novel, it comprises of 13 linked stories, all set in and around a small town in Maine. Um, now, it was first published back in 2008, you know, so it's not a new book. Um, but what links all of the stories together is the presence of the, the title character, Olive Ketteridge. She's a, a maths teacher in school and the wife of the local pharmacist. And she has an opinion and she's not afraid to voice it. Initially, she comes across as not a very lovable character, uh, but that's just her front. You know, her bark is worse than her bite. And towards the end, my sympathies were certainly with her. You know, her intentions are noble most of the time, uh, but she's misunderstood and she's not always socially or politically correct. You know, I didn't see it, but there was a four part miniseries based on the novel starring Frances McDormand as, as Olive. And then the good news is I've enjoyed this book and I realised then late last year there was a sequel called Olive Again. Um, I haven't read it as yet, but it's certainly on my on my to read list. So I've read a few doorstop books this year and another one uh, coming in at a mammoth 720 pages was A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Now, I don't need books or indeed films for that matter to have happy endings, only satisfying endings. Um, I'll put the caveat in up front with this, that this is not necessarily a happy book, uh, but it is a brilliant read nonetheless. Uh, I'd heard about it from uh, several sources. I'd read some of the rave reviews of it. It was shortlisted for the Booker Prize in 2015. Um, and although it's very long, it's 720 pages, I usually say the longer the better when the book is good and the characters and the story are um, absorbing. You know, so at the beginning of this book, uh, four young men, all graduates of the same New England University, set about establishing themselves in New York. Uh, they're a diverse group. You know, there's William, who's the son of a Wyoming ranch hand who works as a waiter but aspires to be an actor. Malcolm, the biracial son of a wealthy Upper East Side family who's an architect. Uh, John Baptiste, the child of Haitian immigrants who works as a receptionist in an art magazine um, and who wants to be an artist. And then Jude, a lawyer and mathematician whose background is only slowly revealed to us. Uh, we discover that he was a foundling left by a dustbin and, and raised by monks. You know, and for the first 50 pages or so of this book, you know, the characters attend parties and they move apartments and they go on dates and they gossip, you know, and then out of the blue, uh, there's a scene where you learn that Jude has self-harmed. And from that moment on, the book really becomes his story. Now, it's not an easy read at times, as I say, there's scenes of abuse, but they're, they're not sensationalist or excessive, you know, and certainly there's a lot more gory scenes and something like the the game of thrones you know now i know a book is good when i'm absorbed with the characters and i'm trying not to skim ahead and i'm wishing that the characters will find happiness you know hoping that it's not going to go in a certain direction 
uh, this was certainly a, an absorbing read. And I say it wasn't easy to read at times. But for me, you know, a great book should challenge me as well. And it should widen my view of the world. And this book, A Little, a Little Life by Hanya, uh, Yana Gahara certainly did that for me. So I'm almost there with some of my uh, favourite novels of this year. I also am going to share just one or two personal spiritual type books as well. Um, but the last ones, I'm going to cheat with this because I'm including two in here together. You know, I wanted to read The Testaments by Margaret Atwood, the, the book that co-won last year's Booker Prize. But I said, I'm not going to start reading The Testaments without reading the uh, the original because it's a follow-up to The Handmaid's Tale. So I was very late to the party with The Handmaid's Tale because, of course, it was a TV series. I didn't see it. Uh, but I didn't realise The Handmaid's Tale was actually written back in 1985. So I picked it up first. Um, it's about, you know, a, a dystopian future where environmental disasters and declining birth rates have led to a second American civil war. Now, with current US politics, that's not as far-fetched as we might have thought. Um, but the result of this civil war is the establishment of the Republic of Gilead, a totalitarian regime that enforces rigid social roles and enslaves the few remaining fertile women. Um, and the, the Handmaid's Tale is told by Afred or of Fred, because that's the person she's uh, bound to, uh, to produce children. It's her story, um, part scathing satire uh, and on the other hand, an ominous, uh, ominous warning as well. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I particularly liked the ending of that book as well, which was left open. Um, and then The Testaments, which is out only in the last year or so. And as I say, it's... Um, uh, also by Margaret Atwood, of course, and it co-won last year's Booker Prize. Um, it's it it reads it reads like a thriller, you know. It, the the story unfolds uh, through the narratives of of three uh, women, and it's set I think about fifteen years after The Handmaid's Tale. So one of the stories is by uh, Nicole, a young woman who lives in Canada. And she's part of the, the resistance movement um, against the Republic of Gilead. Uh, another by Agnes Jemima, who, uh, who has grown up in Gilead with foster parents. Um, and then the third narrative is told by Aunt Lydia. Now, she's an enforcer. She's a, she's a, a person of authority within Gilead. And she imposes the draconian rules on the handmaid, on all the handmaids and the, and the women in society. And uh, these stories, of course, overlap and they come together. And as I say, it reads like a thriller. And, and I really admire Margaret Atwood as a writer and as an activist. Um, I follow a lot of what she does. I've read several of her books and I don't know why I hadn't read The Handmaid's Tale sooner. Um, but I was so glad I did and, and so timely as well at, uh, at this point in history. So a few spiritual, personal development type books to close. Um, I read a lot of these, but if you subscribe to my monthly easy next steps, which of course you can access through my website and, and join the community, uh, you'll know that uh, in each edition, I always do a book review and those book reviews tend to be in the business, spiritual, personal development type field. So I'm just going to highlight two that I particularly enjoyed this year. The first one was Heart Minded by Sarah Blondon. It has the subtitle of How to Hold Yourself and others in love. Now I have to say Sarah Blondon is someone who I've listened to for a few years now on the app Insight Timer. I just think she's such a gifted, wise speaker. 
Um, and I got this book on my iPad because there is a, a meditation at the end of each chapter. And what you could do is rather than reading it, you could listen to it by just clicking on the link and you could listen to her voice. And I just found that interactive experience um, uh, fantastic. Uh, and I found this book really supportive um, uh, when my dad was so ill and, and leading up to his passing. So the book for me is all about moving from the head to the heart and into the present moment where, you know, all of those arguments and dialogues that we have in our heads about ourselves and and how we maybe push back against the world and life, you know, that all goes quiet and we can find a sense of calmness. Um, as I say, Sarah Blondin, I just find that she's a poet, you know, her language and voice are so beautiful. Um, and for that reason, I, I wanted to be able to access the meditations as well that are that are in this book, which really enriched the whole experience. Um, of course, it's full of powerful practices and uh, wisdom that allow you to connect more deeply with yourself and and maybe to discover in more of a tangible way that beneath all our burdens and troubles, we're really whole and free. The last book I'm going to speak about in any depth today is Vibrate Highly by uh, Leila Delia. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Her first name is spelled L-A-L-A-H, Delia. Uh, And there's a theme here because I also came across this book ultimately from listening to her on the meditation app uh, Insight Timer. And I began to follow her on Instagram and discovered there that she had written a book called Vibrate Uh, higher daily. So as I ever, when I'm downloading, I'll download a sample first and then see if it appeals. And this one certainly did. So I downloaded the the rest of it. Um, This book, Vibrate Higher Daily, it has the subtitle, Live Your Power, which I love. Um, And it's about making intentional day-to-day choices that lift us out of mindsets or habits or lifestyles that don't serve us uh, into ones that do. It's an invitation to engage with everything that fuels our soul and and raises our energy and vibration. And of course, to also let go of the things that sap our energy. And uh, what I love as well is Leila, uh, she shares her own story, plenty of examples, mantras, affirmations that she uses, even some of her own poetry, which again makes the book very uh, rich as a, as a reading experience. Um, so they're, they're just two of the personal spiritual development type books that I found this year that really, that really fueled my soul. Um, but there's more that I reference in my, uh, my monthly e-zine as well. I tend to reread a few books every year as well, either old favourites or ones that just come into mind or, or find their way into my hands again. Um, and of course, when you reread something, you get a new layer of pleasure from it, I always find, because you're reading with different eyes and maybe you're at a different place in your life. Uh, one of the books I reread this year, um, and it shows you the, the breadth of my um, my library, as it were, I reread Dan Brown's The, the Last Symbol. Um, and uh, I did that for a number of reasons. One, I was just looking for something light. I think it was after reading the A Little Life, uh, that book, um, where I just needed something light because it was quite heavy, and uh, just wanted a simple page turner. And this was one of the this is one of the few I think Dan Brown books that hasn't been turned into a movie starring Tom Hanks. Um, it's an easy page turner, a thriller. I'd read it a few years ago, but I'd for- on holiday I think, but I'd forgotten the, the the gist of the story. But I also read it because. It was one of the last books my dad read. It was actually in his room, and I don't even think he completed it. 
um, because he was so ill, but it brought it back to my uh, in my attention, and and I read it again, um, and it's the sort of book that he enjoyed as well, a bit of a page turner. Uh, for the fourth or fifth time this year as well, I also reread the Celestine Prophecy. I'm sure you're well aware of that book by James Redfield. Uh, part adventure, pure escapism, and really grounded in personal development and energy work. It's um, it's one I've turned to every few years. I also picked up as well, I had it on my bookshelves, um, an autobiography by Nikki Haslam, who's a real bon vivant and uh, and designer, interior designer. Um, his autobiography is called Redeeming Features. Now, he's led quite a life. It's a real page turner. Uh, such a fascinating glimpse into the jet set lifestyle. Um, and again, an easy read and, and full of just interesting stories and interesting people. Another book I read this year was Walking by Erling Kaga, who's a Norwegian explorer. Now, I think it was about two or three years ago, he had a book out, uh, Silence, Silence, which was really all about meditation on, on silence and being quiet. Um, this one was all about walking. And he's one of these explorers that do tremendous feats, you know, walking unaided to the North Pole or South Pole. So he certainly knew a few things about walking. And it's one of those books that's just beautiful to hold in the hand. It's a small hardback book. Um, and um, uh, how would I say it? A great, a great stocking filler, I think, for people who are into walking. If you're looking for a pure page turner thriller with uh, with a surprise ending, uh, I read this year The Silent Patient by Alex Michalides, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, one that would be great as a, as a holiday read. You know, it keeps the pages keep turning and there's a real twist at the end. I think I twigged it about a page out and I'm sort of thinking, oh, that's clever. And uh, I like an author that uh, that surprises me. So I've a few books on the on the to get list or the to read list over the next few weeks. But top of the list is the what I'm sure will be a publishing phenomenal phenomenon, um, The Promised Land by Barack Obama, which is the first part of the two part autobiography that I believe he's writing um, about his time in the White House. So I think if it's as uh, a fraction of as successful as his wife, Michelle Obama's uh, book, Becoming, um, I think there will be so much publicity around this. It's just out. Um, I have it on order. Uh, as soon as I get my hands on it, I will be diving diving into it, let me tell you. So hopefully you found my musings on my books this week uh, interesting. As I say, I read a lot. I get such pleasure from it. Um, um, uh, books are a big part of my life. And if you have any recommendations or ones that you've read recently that you think I would enjoy, by all means, send me a comment or send me an email at james at jamesweekman.com uh, or a note through the website or even, even a little note on social media as well, because I love recommending books to other people. And equally, I love to receive uh, recommendations as well. So thank you for tuning in this week. Um, and hopefully, maybe you're inspired to go off and check out a few of those titles or to or to consider some as perhaps Christmas gifts for, for others.
And uh, more about me, James Sweetman, as ever, is available on my website, jamesweetman.com, and across the social media channels. And if you know of any book lovers in your life who might find this week's episode of interest, feel free to pass on the details. If you enjoyed it, make a comment. uh, And uh, and if you subscribe as well, you won't miss any future episodes. I have a few great interviews lined up, by the way, for the next few episodes this side of Christmas. So as I say, thank you for tuning in. And until next week.